Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, good evening and welcome to Monday's podcast. We come today with some sadness over the Friday night, Saturday morning, December the 10th and 11th outbreak of at least 30 tornadoes across a multi-state area, which was in the central and southern United States. There are dozens that have been killed. I think the last count that I saw was 70 confirmed. There have been hundreds injured. Thousands have been displaced, and many, many homes and businesses have been destroyed, and entire communities devastated. And our prayers and thoughts go out to these folks, and we're going to share some things tonight, information that we've come across, and then we're going to share how you can be involved in the recovery process. Yes, I reiterate everything that you've just said, too. You know, we here in Alabama are very sensitive to tornado action. We certainly are no stranger to what tornadoes can do, particularly very devastating tornadoes that are on the ground for a long time. So our hearts and thoughts and our prayers do go out to all of those that have been directly and indirectly affected by the weekend storms. In fact, strangely enough, these tornadoes actually made history. Let me share with you some thoughts that were assembled by meteorologist Spencer Denton. He is from a television station in Memphis where there is a National Weather Service headquarters as well. He has shared this on Facebook where he has written Historic December Tornado Outbreak the morning after. These are his thoughts. This four-state tornado, which covered Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky, may have been on the ground over 200 miles. We now know that it was closer to 300 miles and was tornado-warned the entire time. Over 30 tornadoes were reported but still need to be surveyed by the National Weather Service. Over 100 tornado warnings were issued. This is the most for any day in December. Debris was lifted 40,000 feet high in the four-state tornado, and it was the deadliest December day for tornadoes. Those certainly are sad statistics, something that we need to keep in mind whenever we are becoming weather aware. You know, the National Weather Service began tracking the system 12 hours before the tornado first actually formed. So we do want to give credit to the National Weather Service for doing a tremendous job of trying to put the word and the warnings and the watches out there in as timely a fashion as they possibly can under such conditions. And they began to let people know well in advance where the tracking was going and to get people aware and to get people to move in action and as best that they could to give proper warning with as much time as is given. You know, you've got to remember, a tornado doesn't give you a lot of exact timetable and exact power as far as how much strength it may have, the National Weather Service and the local meteorologists, they do a very good job, but they don't have, unlike a hurricane where you have a week, maybe 10 days worth of time to let you know the storm has formed and is coming, with a tornado, it can actually disappear and reappear in a matter of minutes or seconds. And so they do a tremendous job at being able to warn people. And yet still, there's so much damage and so much can happen. And this is just more underscoring how important it is to have a mindset of preparedness for storms that you know will happen. We know that this region 
region of America is very tornado prone. This is not an unusual area for tornadoes. And the people that have lived there a long time have gone through several of these things. And so we just wanted to call attention to this very unusual December tornado activity and to underscore the importance of preparedness for the storm. Some of the things that I've looked over, and I think there's one more state to add to Spencer's list, and that would be Mississippi. They've had at least one death, and they've had hundreds injured, and they have triage centers set up. In northwest Tennessee, there were three killed, and 137,000 are currently without power. Missouri, folks were injured or killed when buildings collapsed. The Amazon Distribution Center warehouse in Illinois was collapsed, and there were multiple folks killed there. And in Kentucky, there were over 50 killed in that one state alone, and it has left over 200,000 without power. And in Arkansas, there were several killed when a nursing home was hit. Now, with dozens killed and hundreds injured and thousands displaced, What can we do? What is it that we as individuals sitting here today can actually do to help? One thing that I came up with years ago working with disaster relief, you can pray, pay, participate, pick two. Pick two that you could do. Pray, pay, or participate. You can pray for those that are injured. And pray for the families of those who've been killed. Pray for the rescue and the recovery workers. This is very hard on first responders, more than you probably realize, because they're dealing with everyone's emergency. You can pray for those that have now been left homeless, the ones that are displaced, the ones that are having to find shelter somewhere with family, with friends, on their own. Pray for everyone that's affected. Whole communities have been virtually wiped out. There are people that are just trying to figure things out right now, don't really know how to step. You can also pay. You can give your money to the relief efforts. And three that come to mind that are very helpful at times like this are Samaritan's Purse. They're headquartered out of Charlotte, North Carolina. They send out disaster teams. And they already have disaster teams and feeding crews en route as we speak. You can also send money gifts to the Red Cross. And they do ask for money. A lot of times because supplies are hard to get in if you're trying to act on your own as an individual. When the Red Cross and Samaritan's Purse and Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, when they can come in to an area and purchase supplies there on the ground, and it reduces a lot of the time that may be spent. You've got to realize, too, that in tornado-damaged areas, it's going to be very difficult for just anybody to drive in. They've got to clear roads, and they've got to clear power lines. So your gift of money is going to be better placed at this time so that they can purchase more intelligently what's actually needed in the different communities that they serve. And another thing with the Red Cross is that they use a lot of money to find placement. They'll purchase hotels for people, not purchase, they'll rent hotel rooms for people who have been displaced for several days. They do this after house fires as well. When we have a house fire in this county, the Red Cross will send a team out and they will 
help meet whatever needs. But there's another thing that we don't think about a lot of times, and that is the specific needs that are required by certain people. People lose medication. People lose diapers. They lose all kinds of things that we may not foresee. And if we donate money, then these folks are able to go in and meet those specific needs. We also have the Salvation Army. Both the Red Cross and the Salvation Army will be feeding people for the next coming weeks. And you also have Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, and they will prepare food that's distributed by both the Red Cross and the Salvation Army. An interesting fact that a lot of folks don't know is that about 80% of the food distributed worldwide by the American Red Cross or the Red Crescent is prepared by Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Teams. Now, we'll put links to each of these in the website and on the blog. And finally, you can participate. You yourself can coordinate a supply collection and delivery. You could coordinate this through your church, your church groups, choirs, Sunday school class. You could do this through a civic organization, perhaps, you know, like Kiwanis and others, junior service organizations in the community, or maybe even through your workplace. Maybe you work for a a large plant or manufacturing plant or a corporation that would like to be able to come together and serve the community. And some of the things that you would want to collect would be water in various forms, probably nothing larger than a gallon, but mostly Uh, individual water bottles, baby food, all kinds of baby food, diapers, every kind of size of diapers from preemie zero up to about five, cleaning supplies. This is very important because these people are wiped out. They don't have anything, and they're going to need some antiseptic cleaning supplies, some antiseptic sprays, things to clean with like washable cloths, window cleaners, They'll also need tarps, tarps of every kind of size for covering uh, or, or makeshift roof or window covering, and then rolls of plastic. You can also participate if you're able-bodied and have the equipment and the means and the time to do so, and that is to physically help with debris removal and do so in such a way that is appropriate. You know, there's certain debris removal that you won't be permitted to be in unless you're a certified electrician or a certified first responder. But there's other ways that you can help with debris removal. Well, a lot of this, we're talking about trees that are down. So Mm -hmm. we'll need folks that can run chainsaws. They'll need folks that can tarp roofs. And so if you are within a driving distance and you can commute to help, You might get your men's group or your Sunday school class or some civic organization and go to that area and spend a day or so working in people's yards. Now, a lot of this is cutting up trees and pulling it to the road. Once you pull it to the road, then FEMA will have a mechanism in place for the trucks to come along and pick that up. And these folks, many of these folks will be lost without having help to do that. Now, I would suggest, and I always did this when I went into a disaster relief area doing needs assessment, I did not go into the affluent areas first. I went to the other side of the railroad tracks. The affluent areas, they have the insurance in place to cover bringing in professional tree removal services and things like that. 
And if you go in and you help in that area and you get that community cleaned up, then you still have the other side of the tracks to do. So I would go in and I would find the folks that are not likely to be adequately insured to be able to hire the professional help to come in, and I would focus on the needs that are there. When you go into this type of situation, you must be self-sufficient. You must be able to take care of yourself. Don't go in expecting coordinated housing for volunteers. Now, the American Red Cross or the Salvation Army, they're glad to feed you, but have a backup plan. Take some food with you. Take food that no cooking is required or throw the little camp stove in the vehicle as well to be able to heat some things up, but have a way to prepare that. Be aware that you may not be able to buy the supplies that you would like to have inside the impact area. The stores may likely still be closed, and you may have to drive some distance to be able to purchase supplies, so take what you need going in. If you're taking chainsaws, take gas, take oil, take bar oil, take extra chains, things like that. So just be aware that you may not be able to get those locally or without having to drive for some distance. Now, you might be able to coordinate with a church outside the impact area to be able to host a team, but have some idea of how you're going to be spending the night before you leave. And you can contact your church. Your pastor may have other contacts or your association can make contacts with someone else and be able to find some place for you to be able to stay. And you may be able to join in their efforts to further increase the relief to the victims. You know, having these tornadoes happen certainly does reveal in an extremely real way why it is important to be a prepared person. It may be your home next that is destroyed by a storm or a flood or a tornado or even just severe wind damage. You've got to be able to rely on yourself in so many ways. Those first few hours, you may not have anyone able to come help you. So you've got to be able to tolerate, you've got to be able to cope with Whatever your damage is, if or if you're dealing with a power outage, a lot of people had power outage that didn't have any tornado damage. Correct. But there they sit with no electricity, zero, because the grid near them is down, and it's going to take a while to get 200,000 people, and that's just one area. So what are you going to do without power? What are you going to do without heat? What are you going to do without that electric stove to cook with or that heater? You know, you've we've talked about this many times about what are your ways to survive and thrive in the absence of electricity? And so this is a time to reassess your plan, reassess your items, the things that you have stored. Do you have a Mr. Buddy heater? Do you have propane? Do you have an appropriate amount of propane? Do you have fuel to operate your generator? Do you have a generator? You know, you've, this may be a time, too, when you really need to ask yourself again, what are my threat assessments? What do I need that I don't have? And what do I have that I might need? So reassess your efforts as far as being prepared. And if you haven't prepared, there's no better time to start than today. And search and rescue operations began immediately after the tornadoes went through. 
But it takes 48 to 72 hours for major relief efforts to be up and running. Now, the American Red Cross, the Salvation Army, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, they're getting people en route. Those teams, some of those teams left on Sunday. Other NGOs, non-governmental organizations and faith-based organizations, they're mobilizing as well. But it takes 72 hours or more for many of these to get in place. And so what Chris is talking about here, we need to be able to be totally independent and self-sufficient for that first 72 hours. And that includes our shelter, that includes our food, it includes our water, it includes every aspect of life that we need to be able to be self-sufficient for that period of time until major help arrives. Now, as we said, we're going to put links in that you can donate. They will be on the website tomorrow. They will be in the show notes today. And that will be to Samaritan's Purse, to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, to the American Red Cross, and to the Salvation Army. And our prayers go out not only to those that live in that area and are affected, but for those that are traveling to assist as well. There's always the possibility of injury to those folks, of illness, and so we certainly want to be praying for them, for their safety, and for their protection. Anything else you would like to add tonight? Well, again, we just want to offer our compassion and our heartfelt thoughts and prayers to those that have been affected by this enormous tragedy. This is a very devastating event. We're also going to be putting our money where our mouth is, and we're also going to be sending financial gifts to these organizations to help them mobilize and help them get relief and rescue operations going as quickly as possible. We certainly know that some people are being found that are alive. They're being found minute by minute, and we're just so grateful for that. And our prayers do go out for those that have experienced great loss in their families. And we just ask that, you know, be compassionate to your neighbors, be thoughtful for them. It's not that there's a good time for this to happen, but for it to be a couple of weeks before Christmas is just even more devastating, I think, because this is supposed to be a holiday time of joy, and yet these kinds of things do happen in the world that we live in. And we just want to be compassionate with our neighbors and to be thoughtful and assist them. We know that they would do that for us. And we will see you next time. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared. <laughs>